able to read and be loved of your character of justice out of an opportunity to be invited into something that Satan has put all of his efforts into stopping us from realizing. God, you have called us to live a new life in Jesus Christ, to contend with our natural self and our natural inclinations, to doubt and to be afraid and to question and to live in concern or contempt, to seek ourself over you. But each time, you wait mercifully for us. You give us signs of who you are. And you speak to us, desiring that we would hear you and believe in Christ. God, let us hear you speaking to us. God, give our hearts a desire to respond and to rejoice that you have come after us. That you desire for us to live with you. Control this and to take us into eternal life. So we're still in the wilderness, and some of you are beginning to feel the angstiness of being in the same place for so long. Some of you are wishing we would just move to a different pasture so we could get on with the show. Some of you are not wondering, but you're just downright finished with it. But I'm in charge, and I get to do the setup. But today we're going to look at a different passage of Scripture, so there's that. But the question that I have for you today, and the question that I think Jesus answered and exemplified for us in his own time in the wilderness, is how can we face our contests or the times that we are challenged with the enemy day in and day out? How can we face those times and grow stronger in our faith as opposed to growing weaker and allowing him to have more control over who we are and how we live. Our text for today comes from Ephesians chapter 6. That's right, it's not Luke chapter 4, but it's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I want to read those verses to you. You've probably heard them several times, but I want you to listen to them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So therefore, put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Now, I know you've eaten.
each heard this passage of Scripture before. As a matter of fact, we've talked about it in here before, and I explained to you the different pieces of armor and how they would be constructed and the purpose that each one would serve and how it would be put on and worn in battle. And we spend a lot of time looking at the deeper things of this passage of Scripture. But today I want you to hear the very first sentence. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That is something that even with all our time in Sunday school and even with all our time uh, in church and a history of growing up in our faith and in a culture uh, in the Southern Bible Belt that is somewhat centered around the things of God, that is, that is still a concept that we struggle with because that is the, the one thing that Satan doesn't want us to figure out is how we could be strong in God and how we can depend on his mighty power because Satan knows that if we are depending on our own power, he has a lot more ability to infiltrate. But as we saw with Jesus' time in the wilderness, success comes when we finally realize that God is the one who will bring us to victory. So everything about Jesus is at stake here in his time in the wilderness. And so Satan was doing his very best in order to try and trip him up and to get him off his game and to get his mind paying attention to other things. The three tests that he gave Jesus were to get him to think about something else other than standing strong in the Lord and depending on God's power. So he went after the very thing that decided and that told Jesus who he was. It was his name. You see, the name that God gives each one of us is something that carries our calling, the purpose of our life, and our sense of order in the midst of a chaotic world. And so naturally, Satan's goal, anything not of God, the goal is to unname us and to distort or disorient us from our identity and to rip a purpose of what God wants for us, to rip it away from us as soon as possible. So when Paul wrote to the believers in all of his letters, he had one goal in that they would live their life in such a way that they would be confident in the name that God had given them and that they would live their life in such a way that they would find the order of God in the midst of a chaotic and broken world. And so often when he wrote his letters, he wrote to believers who were struggling with living a new life and contending with parts of them old, of their old selves. Anybody here have that issue? You struggle a little bit with your old self, with the world, the way the world tells you to live. Charles Spurgeon made a statement one time. He said the mark of a true Christian is the one that understands that they will struggle with sin until the day that they meet Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say the mark of a true Christian is one who has no sin in their life whatsoever, who has no problem living their faith. But he said the mark of a true Christian is one who acknowledges that there will be a 
But Satan instead tells us that there's no need to struggle. Jesus, if you're hungry, make some bread. Jesus, if you want to be the king, here's all the kingdoms. You take them. So in his first test, the devil aimed at Jesus' use of power. And he said, use it for yourself, Jesus. In the second test, he aimed at Jesus' use of his privileges, saying that if you are the Son of God, then you can have everything that you want, and you don't even have to work for it. All you got to do is snap your fingers and make it happen. And in the third test, he tried to use Jesus' power of persuasion. And he wanted him to tempt God or to force God's hand in order to perform a miracle, to prove that he truly was God. And what he was trying to do there is he was trying to take away the understanding of faith. You know the greatest thing about God is that he doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to come to him. He doesn't force us to respond to him. But yet he allows us to do so freely. But sadly, for many of us, that is also our greatest challenge. That sometimes it would just be easier if God would take control, if God would just handle this for us, and if God would just turn us into good, godly little robots. Am I right? You ever prayed that before? God, I can't do this on my own, so you're going to have to do it. God, obviously I can't make this happen on my own. So why don't you just do it? You're God. Just do it. And so that's what Satan was trying to do with the third one there, is that he was trying to get Jesus to make God do something in order to make it easier on him. But even still, Jesus didn't respond to that. So like Jesus, you and I are going to face temptations and situations that Satan will put in our path in order to deconstruct who we are according to who God says we are. As a matter of fact, each week, you and I will face situations in which Satan is trying to deconstruct who God says we are. So we must be strong in the Lord in order that we might face down the enemy. Jesus was covered in this armor that Paul talked about as he went to battle in this place of loneliness. You've been at a place of loneliness in your life before, I can imagine. When you're struggling with something that nobody else would understand, when you're dealing with something that people could not grasp the concept of the amount of turmoil that is going on within you, and you feel like there is nobody that you can talk to who would understand it, and there is nobody who could fairly walk with you in order to help you get through this season. That is where Jesus was in his time in the wilderness. But as Paul wrote about this armor of God, Jesus was equipped in order to fight this battle. And so there's three things that we're going to look at this morning in order to understand how we can be equipped to fight the enemy in our times of the wilderness. The first one is to be strong in the Lord. To be confident about who you are. There was a country song several years ago that Dirks Bentley wrote. He said, it's my last name. And he was singing this song to this girl that he loved because it's country music and you have to do that. You have to sing to somebody you love or your truck or your dog. You 
You have to. I mean, there's rules. And he was singing this song about his last name and how he was so excited to share his last name with this girl that he loved and about how he was proud of it because his granddad carried it to war. And he was proud of it because of what it stood for in his community. And he was proud of it because when people heard that name, they thought greatly of the people that carried it. And so he was excited to share that name. And so the first thing that you and I can do in order to be successful when Satan comes to tempt us and to deconstruct who we are is we can be strong in the name that God has given us. Be strong in the Lord. And this comes through knowing what the Word of God says. You would be amazed at just how little people know about the Word of God. We think we know a bunch. We can recall things from Sunday school growing up or we can recall things that people say. But when it gets down to the deep struggles of life, we know very little about what God's Word says. Starting off the Passion Conference last year, 2022, David Platt, who's a famous Christian author and a pastor, got up and he quoted the first eight books of Romans before he ever started his sermon. And his sermon was about the importance of knowing the Word of God. John Piper was speaking at a, at a pastor's conference one time, and he got up and he quoted scripture word for word for his entire sermon and the crazy thing was is it sounded just like a regular sermon but all he did was quote passages of scripture that he had memorized when i was in australia in the eighth grade we had to memorize bible verses every day and as the days went on we had to not only say those verses from the first day but the second day and the third day and so by the end of the summer we're saying all 90-something Bible verses from beginning to end. And for a 14-year-old, attentionally challenged individual, that was torture. I was like, this is the reason why people go rogue right here. This is why people quit going to church right here. But as I have grown up, I have understood the importance of that. So many times I would be faced with a situation and one of those verses would come to mind. Psalm 47 and 8. Then said I, in the volume of the book it is written of me and I delight to do your law because God your law is written within my heart. There's so many times that that verse has come into play that I delight to do God's will because his law is written within my heart. Last week, do you remember what we talked about? It is written how Jesus responded to Satan each time with, it is written. That is the way that the strength of God comes when you and I most need it. Not when we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Not when we remember that grandma did it this way and we're going to do it that way. But when we remember that in the word of God, it is written that God has redeemed us through his son Jesus Christ. That God has said that everything that happens in our life is for our good. That God goes before his people and he fights their battles. So being strong in the Lord is something that takes years of hiding God's word in our hearts and cultivating an intimate relationship with our God. 
uses the marriage comparison there. It's really hard to be married to somebody you don't ever talk to, am I right? You live with them, but it's not fun. It's the same way in our relationship with God. We have to be able to communicate, to be able to listen, to be able to hear who we are from the lips of the one who has made that declaration. So when the enemy is winning and we feel like we are losing our soul, we can be strong in the strength of the Lord by bringing out the word of God, by simply praying scriptures and declaring the things that God has already said until we realize that our heart has been set free and that we belong to God and not the situation that is before us. The second thing that we can do in order to stand strong against the enemy is to be strong in our faith. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that we love him because he first loved us. And you know, sadly, that is not the message that is coming out of a lot of Christian churches. We say salvation through faith, but then a lot of times we preach a grace through works. That it's all about the rules, it's all about following the rules. But 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Before we ever loved him, he loved us. And that is the faith in which we believe. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Or the book of Hebrews says that it is being confident of the things not seen and being sure of the things that we hope for. Proof that we have is that we believe God's goodness. So Jesus was successful in his time in the wilderness because he tasted the sweetness of who God said he was and who and the reason why God sent him. He knew his calling at his baptism. And it is through your baptism, it is through my baptism that we can experience that same sweetness of God. We should be wary of living a life where we aren't experiencing some sense of an ongoing draw from God. Have you felt like that in your faith? That you're just doing your thing, God's doing his thing to reach out if you need him, or if he's got some cosmic mission for you, he'll let you know about it. You should be worried if there is not something that is consistently drawing you towards God. If you don't feel that connection, if there's not some emotional or physical pull on who you are, it's a pretty good sign that Satan has been successful in drawing you away from who God has said you are. Now, nobody wants to hear the preacher say that. Preacher don't know what I've been dealing with. Preacher don't know who I am. If you are not feeling drawn by God, then is your faith for success in this life focused on the things that God has said or is it on something of your flesh? So what does it take to build a strong, sustainable faith? A lifetime commitment, just as the first one of being strong in the Lord, nurturing our faith through communion with God, spending time in his word, 
praying the basic Sunday school answers that I'm supposed to pray. Prayer, spending time in the Word, worshiping, worshiping God and not the music, and staying together with one another. It is impossible to be successful in the battle against the enemy by yourself. It is impossible, brother, because you're going to depend on, on the only things that you know and you understand. That's the whole reason God gave us one another in this grace. But we must daily put on the armor of God. For many Christians, however, a sinkhole is formed along the way. On the top, everything looks good. When people see us, we are presentable. We look the way that we're supposed to. But the places within our heart that are supposed to be foundational, that are supposed to be filled with the things of God, has become a void. And in reality, we are victim and we are subject to the pressures that come with living in the broken world. Have you ever gotten online or you ever seen a picture of the sinkhole that has developed in the middle of a city or a town? It shows you the picture of the day before and everything looks good and people are driving and doing the work. And then the next day, there's this half mile hole that's hundreds of feet deep. And all around it, everything looks perfect and looks normal. But all of a sudden, you just see this great chasm that has just disappeared and has swallowed up everything around it. And for many of us, that is how we try to live our faith in God. We keep things looking nice on top and we don't worry about the things underneath that are supposed to support us and to hold us up. And then when the situations just get right, everything falls away. And we no longer even have the outward image of who we're supposed to because it has all been sucked in and it has become susceptible to the things that are around us instead of the name that God has put within us. So it is critical that we invest in our faith in the easy times. It's like retirement. You start planning for that beforehand because if you wait till it's time to retire, what happens? You don't get to retire, am I right? It's the same with our faith. If we don't invest in it when times are easy, if we're not intentional about it when the enemy is not working on us, then the times when the enemy does come to lean on us, we crater and everything comes tumbling down. And then the third way that we are able to stand strong is that we are strong in our words. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the importance of our words, that little word if, and how much power it has. You ever said something to a loved one that as soon as you said it, you wish you could take it back? You ever been told something by somebody that you loved or somebody you cared about and, and it cut so deep? You remember it to this day? Our words have power. And God tells us throughout Scripture to be careful with our words. He says, use them wisely because the things that you say have much more impact than sometimes what you mean them to have. So Jesus modeled for us how to deal with times of contest, with times of temptation, by being strong in his words. The psalmist said that if we have the word of God hidden in our hearts, it is then that we can respond to the evil one. 
He would say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He would say, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, we've talked about that light in the darkness and being able to see in the midst of the darkness to get that clear direction in the midst of the chaos. In the same way, being strong in our words, when we join together and, and we form our words along with the words of one another through accountability, through discipleship, through growing together, when we have this community of people around us with like-minded intentions, it's like an army going up against the enemy instead of single soldiers. I don't know about you, but I, I doubt there's many of us in here that could compare to John Rambo or G.I. Jane or Chuck Norris or any of those heroes of the action movie when it comes to our faith. The chances of any of those situations working out in, in a real battle situation are very, very slim. But so often we try to do it on our own. If all that we offer ourselves and our faith is just a quick read in the scriptures, that check mark of faith, then we run the risk of missing the power that each passage has when we declare it back to God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the power that comes from taking God's word and declaring it back to God? There's something uncanny about that. When you learn public speaking or you learn uh, how, how to talk to people, one of the things that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to talk to yourself. And I know psychologists say you're not supposed to do that, but it works. But you're supposed to repeat things to yourself because there's something in our brain that when we hear it again and again and again, it begins to make more sense. You ever done a crossword puzzle? I did those for a while, I quit. And when you do a crossword puzzle, you get this little bitty description of this little bitty thing and then you have to figure out the word for it. And there'd been many times I'd be sitting there going, and for 20 minutes in my head, I'm just saying it over and over and over trying to think about what it means, what it means, what it means. It is the same with the word of God, that if we answer the devil according to the things that God has said, then we answer it with more power than if we did it on the own. If we answered Satan with our own susceptible hearts, our own deceptive, did you know that the heart is deceptive? Throughout the pages of scriptures, it says, don't lean on your own understanding, don't trust in your heart, only a fool will trust in their own heart. Because if we answer with our own hearts instead of with it as written, we are missing thousands of years of God's covenant at work in the midst of his people. Do you see the importance of using God's word to live life as opposed to how we feel or what we think? My dad told me one time when I was younger I was an idiot on my best day. I just thought he was being mean. I realized he was being very wise. We don't know all the things that are at play, but God does. We don't always know the consequences of what's going on around us, but God does. For most of us, it's an educated guess. Sometimes it's very poorly educated. Afterwards, with our experience, we, we're a little bit more educated. Sometimes it makes a difference, sometimes it doesn't. I'm thinking back to my teenage years. But God always knows the answer. God always knows the outcome. God always knows what is going to happen. 
And so when we answer with it is written, when we are strong in our words because our words are the words of God, then we are depending on a thousand years of God already doing something in the midst of us. So when we pray the scriptures in the face of times of testing or temptation, the words of God actually become living. When we pray the scriptures, we define what is true, not only for the enemy that is before us, but for our own heart as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. When we pray scriptures, we testify that our own emotionally fragmented being could never offer enough good and true word to help us win our battles. When we acknowledge that we are emotionally broken, fragmented, living in the midst of a chaotic world, and we believe what God has said, then we are trusting Trust in the Lord. Believe in His mighty power. So choose the Word of God and let it shape your own words. Because when we pray the Scriptures, we find life. God is able to reveal Himself to us. Dan Wilt, the guy who wrote the book that we're going through, he said there's no way around it. The Christian who does not hide the Word of God in his or her heart has put down the sword of the Spirit in order to pick up a pocket knife for a heavy battle. There was a rap song some 20 years ago. I heard it one time. I don't listen to rap that much ever. And it talked about how dumb was it to bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, obviously they didn't have guns back in the day when Jesus was kicking them out. But it's like going to battle with a pocket knife instead of a sword. Let's put it in good southern terminology. We went to the zoo the other day, and they had two snakes in there that I was really scared of. They were cottonmouths. I was more worried about the cottonmouths in that cage than I was the vipers or the anacondas or any of that, because I have seen the cottonmouth in action. Now, anybody that's in here, have you ever gone to, could you imagine going to battle with a cottonmouth with a pocket knife? I'll tell you one time, we found a king snake under a wood pile, and I was standing on top of a truck screaming. I was 25, 26 years old. I don't mean standing on the tailgate. I mean, I was like up on the cab screaming. I don't like snakes. The idea of going after one with a sword is not real fun. The idea of going after one with a pocket knife ain't happening. But sometimes that's how we try to live life. We try to fight battles with faith that is comparable to a pocket knife. There's no surviving a battle that Satan is waging for your heart without the sword of God's spirit. There's no way that you will successfully win without the armor of God protecting you along the way. So I want to challenge you with this, and I want you to hear this. Proverbs 18.21 says that words have the power of life and death. God's people, as God's people, we're not only people of God's word, we are also people of the word. God has given us something to say with our life, something to declare with who we are. So as Christians, it's time that we put those words to good use. It is time that we speak the truth of God 
in our own situations and seasons. It is time that we speak the truth of God into the seasons of life that other people are experiencing. It is time that we sing of what God has done for us. So do you have a passage of scripture that you turn to when you're facing down temptation? Do you have a passage that you lean on in the midst of a challenge? Do we depend on our faith as a pocket knife? Or do we believe in God's mighty power, trusting that he has given us what we need to be protected and to be successful? And what do we depend on? Will you join me as I pray? Father God, sold themselves out for the sake of the glory of your kingdom. God, who abandoned everything that the world's idea of common sense said is essential for success, and they depended solely on you and what you promised. God, that they didn't depend on the declarations of rulers of kingdoms of this earth, but they depended on the declaration of the king of all that their citizenship and their identity was not dependent on by the country that they came from or the culture in which they were a part of, but instead it was because of the one that they chose to give their life to. God, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy, and thank you for the words that you have spoken over Trusting.